If you have your Bibles, go with me to Romans 5. We're going to be reading from the 15th verse to the 21st, Romans 5. If you do not have a Bible, Joe will hand you one. You can go ahead and raise your hand, and, uh, and he will bring a Bible to you. Romans 5, 15 through 21 is where we're going. Anybody else need a Bible? I think we've got it, Joe. We've been going through the book of Romans together. We have, uh, we've watched Paul open up the door on the door of grace to us in chapter 1 the door of our unrighteousness in that same chapter, moving forward to 2, 3, the imputed righteousness of God, that it was a gift from God, uh, not something we earned or deserve, but through grace we receive the righteousness of God and that he has made us sinless through that righteousness called justification. Um, as we move forward, uh, into the chapters ahead, we're, we're moving from, Paul is moving us from uh, justification to sanctification, which is actually just, you can just um, make it easy, we're just living out the faith that you've been given. Uh, the men on, on Wednesday night is going through a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. And it really is the call to, for us to realize that God has given us his holiness and that we need to step into that holiness. The Bible says to be in step with the Holy Spirit, right? And so that is that I live out that which I believe and I move into it. And so uh, before Paul takes us off into sanctification and into um, Really, the two sides of sanctification, there's two sides. There's one is death, meaning that to walk into sanctification, it's, it, there's a dying that goes on, a dying to myself, a dying to the fact that there's a war going on inside of me, realizing that war, as chapter 7 talks about, and realizing that he is the overcomer of that war, and that even though there is that it, the members are warring within us, we can still live it out. And then in chapter 8, living by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so before he walks into that, though, he's saying to us, you need courage. I remember one time I said that to a guy. I said, I said, I said to live out faith takes courage. And he looked at me and he said, eh, I don't get that. I have never experienced having to have courage to live out faith. Is that true for you? Is that, you, you've never really thought about it as, as being courageous to walk in faith? So you know what I did? I just said to Mike, okay, this area that you're struggling with in your life, go ahead and take a step into it. He said, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, yeah, that's the whole point. We need to understand the grace of God and what he's done and how it came about so that we can walk forward with courage. Because you're going to be challenged with something when it comes to faith. You're going to be challenged with the fact that, that what you see with your eyes is greater than what your heart sees in Jesus Christ. 
The old psalmist said it this way in, in Psalm 37. He said, don't fret when evil men seem to be getting their way because they're like a blade of grass. They rise up in the morning and in the afternoon sun they burn off. And so he says this. He said, he said commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And, and rest in the Lord. How do you do that? Because how many times have we struggled with trust? How many times have we struggled with committing Everything we do unto the Lord. How many times have we struggled with, I just don't really feel like delighting myself in the Lord right now. He seems to be letting me down. And how many times are we inflicted with worry and we aren't finding our rest in him? And why is that? Paul was very cognizant of this. He was very cognizant of this. And that's why before he gets into, let's, let's now look at how we live this out. He said, we're going to just take a step back and we're going to look at the much more of grace. You need to hear that today. We need to hear that today. That grace is much more than whatever we're experiencing. So I've, in talking with people, I am overwhelmed by the much moreness of evil and how it has overcome people's lives and it literally has stalled them in their life. And I think we're living in a time right now that <laughs> much more evil has rised up and separation has happened and people are overwhelmed by evil. Amen? Am I, am I speaking today to you? You hearing from the Lord? It's so true. But today is just a moment to take a step back. So what I need you to do, I want you to think about what has been trying to beg into your heart about much moreness. Is there a sin that's trying to tell you that I've overcome you? Is there a relationship brokenness in your life that just, it just seems to be too much? Is there a, um, is there, maybe, there's, maybe you've lost your job or there's something going on in your workplace or there's something going on in your family or there's something going on that begs to say to you, I have got you. I got your life overwhelmed. It's never going to change. So you might as well give up. One of the things that Jim said to us at the conference was this. He said, I know one thing about 425 pastors is that in this midst, there is some of you that are thinking about giving it up. Giving it up. And he said to us, don't you dare. Don't you dare. As the verse we're going to read says, as sin increases, end it for me. 
much more. Grace increases much more. Can you dare to believe that with me today? Let's read the verses. Let's see where God takes us. Starting at verse 15. It says, But the gift is not like the trespass. For the many died by the trespass of one man. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the rest, result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the, that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act results in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I think the one thing we need to understand about this passage is, is we, all, we, we need to put ourselves back into who Paul was talking to. He had a Jewish audience before him. He had a Gentile audience before him. But they had one thing in common. They had developed their own self-dependent religion. Man-made religion. And in that man-made religion, they had come to a place where it was failing them. Because no construct of a man can uphold a soul of a human being. You can't, as I told an organization, you can't fix a spiritual problem with a physical remedy. You cannot do it. And so, how do we know that we have, even ourselves in this day and age, developed a self-dependent religion? First of all, we experience burnout. It is the focusing on one on our own physical limited resources. And, of, and where Christ is an unlimited resource. But we experience burnout. Second, we've, we experience being overcome by sin. Uh, when your problem is bigger than your God, you're focusing on self-dependent religion. Third, the fear of change. When you want everything to stay the same, you're focusing on what you have developed, your construct of religion, instead of letting God's Spirit move us, whatever that might mean. I, often I will say, this never changes, but this can change greatly. This can change greatly. 
And we've experienced that here at the pier. And then fourthly, discouragement. Discouragement comes when you don't change, in the, uh, when you don't see change in the future, and you become hopeless, as though it could never change. And so, I don't know if you've experienced any of those uh, feelings, but what Paul is calling us here to do is to put all our eggs in one basket. He's calling us to all, be all in, in the in the much more of grace. To put your life on the line for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. It's, it's to put your line on the life, on, on, or it's to put your life on the line of, it, it's not just some kind of religion that we go to on Sunday and just that we walk home and our life is no change. It's putting your life on the line for the gospel, setting on the rock and say, it's never going to let me down. I will walk this way. I will go wherever you lead me. I will do whatever you want me to do. It does not matter. That is what Paul's calling us to do in the book of Romans. King David once said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent people you have saved me. That was at the end of David's life, and he knew it. He knew it, and he saw it. And so, the Old Testament rock is the solid ground on which a warrior would stand firm as he's in battle. It's the ground of absolute truth that will never let you down, and it gives the warrior the advantage over his enemy because they're standing on the truth. We need this rock and this firm foundation to give us this advantage against the enemy of deceit, lies, and fantasies. So why is Paul ending his writing on justification with this comparison and contrast of Adam and Jesus? If, if you look back just at the verse before we read, it says that Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come, God the Father chose to put Jesus in human skin to come as a pattern of mankind and from a human view, the reason was, was to become the perfect sacrifice. Jesus need to, needed to be human to be able to step into your my place to take our sin. That was the reason. But from the earthly view, Jesus looked no different than any other human being. Jesus was so common, so ordinary, so, dare I say, insignificant in human estimation that he is easily overlooked. In fact, I, if you do a study of, of art coming from the 14, 15, 16, 17th century, I don't know if you've noticed it, but they always put a halo around Jesus. It's because they're attempting to say he's more than just a human. Because so many people have missed him. So many people have overlooked Jesus because he's so ordinary. I think the one thing I liked about the Chosen series when they started was the fact that when Jesus did miracles, there was no fanfare. There was no lightning coming from heaven. There was no, you know, big th anything it just happened. 
And the Pharisees missed it because it was so ordinary. And so, in fact, the scripture says in Isaiah 53, he had no beauty or majesty that attracted us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. It's true. It's true. So Paul is saying this. Faith shows us that even through Adam and Jesus, even though Adam and Jesus wore the same skin and both affected the world, Jesus' effect was greater. This is a highly important today because so many people in this religious world, in fact, amongst Christians, listen to me, there are more that are looking for, um, for something spiritual that they're willing to accept false doctrine and attach it to Christianity to try to feel something, to try to experience something spiritual, to try to grab a hold of something uh, more than Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are Christian tarot cards now? Yes. Yes. It kind of is. An oxymoron. But that is, and I could go on and on more. Do you need more than Jesus? I pray not. Because he's enough. And so, there's been a couple of statements in this last week um, that, that I've heard. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he is a friend that lives in another state. And um, he used to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's walked away. And, uh, and when his friend asked him, um, how are you and Jesus doing? He said this. He's saying, I'm waiting for God to move. Now, besides the cross, what more move do you need of God? I think it's a question you got to answer. What other move do you need than what Jesus did on the cross for you? And then another, um, somebody that I know personally said, um, said, um, you know, Jesus was never there for me when I went through my trials and my difficulties. So I'm really having a hard time believing that he exists. That's in this week. It is all over. It is all over. And so... Paul knows this too, and Paul knows that right now, before you even are being encouraged to move forward in this Christian walk, you need to get it square, the much more of grace. So let's look at how he did that. So in verse 15 it says, But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. So grace is more because of the nature of their action. The very word trespass means a deviation from the path. So Adam's action of self-assertion, in which he forcefully pushed to satisfy his own desire, became the grounds for sending the seed of sin into all of, gener all of generation. So Adam's disobedience became the foundation 
for original sin to move into our world. Now, some of you may disagree with that. You may say, I don't know if, if, if the sin of one man could affect the whole world. Um, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have acted in disobedience in your life? How many of you sinned? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, I got some really brave people. Others are going, yeah, he's asked that before. <clears throat> and so... So that disobedience, we're, we're in unison of the fact that it, it, it does affect, and it is actually the working out of it in our own lives that proves that it's real. But, but, on the contrast, the self-sacrificing obedience act of Jesus Christ who came selflessly and gave his life on behalf of man uh, became uh, the free gift Offered to us. How many of us have been affected by the free gift of grace? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely, I have. It's amazing. It is amazing. And this is this this is the clincher. And I think this is important for us to know. That that uh, the grace is more because of the nature of the nature of their actions. Adam's nature was disobedience. Christ's nature was obedience to his father. That's what son of the cross. But here's the clincher. Here's the clincher. Because of the cross, death can be broken, but salvation can never be broken. You need to hear that. Death can be and is broken. But salvation cannot be broken. You, you, you say, well, Pastor, do you believe that once saved, always saved? Absolutely. Absolutely I do. How can the eternal live within my heart and somehow be broken from my heart? Cannot happen. In fact, it says in 2 Timothy 1, 9b through 10, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has, listen to this, destroyed death. No, destroyed death. No, destroyed your greatest fear. Because death is your greatest enemy. He's destroyed it and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I love the contrast between death being destroyed and eternal life. Can anybody tell me how long eternal life is? Forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shall we sing? <laughs> but it's so true. But I am telling you that, that for you to understand grace and the abundance of grace, you have to grab hold of the obedience that Jesus did going to the cross and that that broke death and that in that obedience, you have much more than the disobedience that Adam did. That's a good word for somebody who, who continues to sin. And they say to themselves, I, I don't think I can ever get over this. Yes, you can. Because Jesus was obedient, so can you. 
so can you. Yes, you can. In him, you can. Do you believe that? Because there's some in this room today that's struggling with that. I know. And I've struggled with it in my life. And until, until I surrendered to his grace and let it overcome me, I didn't, I didn't get it. I kept trying. I kept trying. You, you with me? I kept trying. And it's this human-dependent religion that I, that I constructed that said, I just got to try harder. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. It's surrendering and then believing that he already did it and walking in it every day. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing. Second, in verse 16, look at it with me. It says, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Second point is this. Grace is more because of the immediate effect it has on our lives. The immediate effect it has on our lives. And the effect is seen by the words, if you see in the passage, one and many. Now, that may not jump out at you right away, but I want you to think about it. When somebody sins against you once, okay, okay, we can forgive, right? But what happens when they sin many times against you? What's the philosophy you've been taught about that? Do me once, shame on you. Do me twice, shame on me. The Pharisees believed that if, and they, they said biblically, via the Torah, that if somebody sinned against you three times, then you don't have to forgive them. God has resolved you from sinning or for forgiving their sins. Just personally, I'm really thankful that Sue Andersman didn't take that philosophy. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, yeah, we know. <laughs> Thank you for that background. <laughs> so, you know... Um, so our judgment is that the, end, that the, that the um, increase of transgression becomes the increase of judgment. Now, this does work out in the civil law. If a person gets a DUI once, you know, there's a little less. If they get a DUI again, it becomes increase. And if they get a third one, they're probably landing in jail. Okay, I get that. But did you notice in here, in the economy of God, that, that, the, that the condemnation came after one sin, but that the gift of grace came after many transgressions. That should bring hope to someone's heart in this room today. Because of God and what he did through Jesus Christ, he forgives all our sins.
In fact, the Old Testament tells us that from as far as the east is from the west, he removes our sins. Not only forgives our past sins, but he forgives our present sins, and he forgives our future sins. We are so easily overcome by the fact that it keeps going. And this is, please don't hear this as justification to keep sinning. Because that actually is an act of unbelief. But if you grab a hold of this and you understand this, this is powerful. This is actually the strength to say no to sin and yes to God's will. Because not, Lord, I, I, I've come to a place where I realize that no matter what I have done in the past, you have forgiven it. And my future is a different future because of your grace. And so I can walk on a different path. And if you believe this, you will walk a different path. And your feet will be light because you're no longer weighed down by it. This is huge. It's the gospel. It is huge. Why is this true? And this is important for you to know. Because God's love for the sinner is greater than his hatred for the sin. God's love for you is greater than the sin that he hates in you. 2 Corinthians 5 19 says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. I guarantee you there's somebody in this room that their life has been affected by the fact that they keep remembering what they did. You keep counting your sin against you and that's what keeps you buried. But I am telling you, God does not count it through the cross by his grace. I, I get it. It's beyond human comprehension. Because we keep a track of other sins and our sins, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. Stop fighting with me. You do too. But it's the grace of God that doesn't count sin against us. And in that freedom, you no longer have to be that person that you were. You can be that which he is creating you to be. So it is Christ's obedience. And it is the fact that after many sins... His forgiveness is still available through the gospel. Thirdly, in verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Grace is more because of the ultimate actions are different. The ultimate actions are different. The ultimate actions are recorded here for us in the reality of death and life. 
Not only death and life, but the reign of both. The word reign is kingdom language that refers to the position that we live in. Every single one of us was born under the reign of death. We've all experienced it. We've all made decisions that have tried to destroy our life. Amen? Anybody, anybody here that's saying, oh, I never did that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, 1 Colossians 3, uh, 13 through 14 says, He, God, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we've been transferred by, from the uh, totalitarian tyranny of death into the freedom of life through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to ask the question today, how many of you are living in that kingdom? How many are you living in that kingdom of life, in that kingdom of freedom, that you just, you wake up every morning and you are, are, you are just experiencing the freedom of Christ in your life? It's, it's really interesting um, that that's an experience that seems to be lacking in the church. Just that freedom from the life, the kingdom life in us. We're so buried by the kingdom around us. Um, I'm all for voting, but Jim Cimbala said to us, he says, you know what, stop focusing on politics. They're not saved and they don't get it. Just be okay with that. Be okay with that. You're in a different kingdom. You're not under the kingdom of America. You're under the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's a kingdom of life. Now that does mean we go and vote. That does go, mean we go and try to influence people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But so many people have been so caught. It's so interesting. He said that to 425 pastors. It's just like, it's been, it has overwhelmed the church. It has separated the church. It has separated the church. We're in a different kingdom. Jesus reigns. Pray for President Joe Biden. But he doesn't reign over you. Jesus does. He's under Jesus. He's subject to Jesus. He will answer to Jesus for what he's done. And so, what does it mean to live in the, um, uh, the reign of the, light, the kingdom of life? First of all, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. Kyle Hamlet's name has changed. It's now Jesus. Jesus in me. Jesus in Kyle. It's, it's a new kingdom. It's a new, it's a new creation. No longer influenced by the past. No longer fear of the future. But living in a kingdom that brings forth forgiveness, hope, peace, and new dreams and love. Has anybody else noticed this? When you put in your computer, peace, P-E-A-C-E, does anybody else's computer try to change that word? Mine's the only one. 
You haven't, you, you've never put in peace? <laughs> whatever, whatever, yeah. No, you have, you have. But the thing is, every time I put peace in, it tries to change it to like a piece of candy. I don't know why, but I do know this. AI might have a lot of answers, but it doesn't have an answer for peace. Your computer does, technology does not have an answer for peace. In fact, it will try to respell it. Just remember that. I think that's important. So, new creation. Are you, are you new here today? Or are you not experiencing newness? Second of all, power over sin. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, You were taught in Christ with regard to your former way of life, listen to this, men, us especially, to put off old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, right? We, uh, we, we learned that. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Yes! That's what we're made for in, under the reign of the kingdom of God. You're called to be holy as he is holy. And it's possible because the God who lives in you is holy and he is the one who imputes holiness to you. You can live out holiness. I think one of the biggest slap in the face of God's ever gotten is people saying, I'm not a saint. You know how you base your decision on not being a saint? Is you look in the mirror and you think, well, you know, I'm doing okay, but I'm not quite doing it. Self-dependent religion. You are a saint because God made you a saint. You are holy because God made you holy. Live it. We need people to stand up and live it in this world. Live out this new kingdom. We are being infiltrated and destroyed by people who live under this earthly kingdom. And their whole focus is on this earthly kingdom. I'm sorry, but the right vote next week or two weeks from now may be good for our country, but it's not going to save us. I remember when Dobson said for the first time, and I'm trying to think of when it was, I think it was back in 2005, and the Republicans were in um, office and they had control of both, both the House and the Senate. And he said this. He said in the last four years, the Republicans didn't do anything. All they did was get caught in conflict after conflict after conflict. And he said, remember, Republicans aren't Christians. Don't equate them. I know, John. I know. <laughs> and so grace is more because the ultimate actions are different. It puts us in a new kingdom. It is the reign of the, of the kingdom of life that gives me the desire to obey God and to overcome sin and to live out this holiness not because of a legalistic view of the fact that I've got to do, but because we have the freedom to say no to sin and yes to God's will. So now something interesting happens. So he comes in and he talks about the obedience. 
He talks about the love, and he talks about the new kingdom, and then he turns it, and from contrast, he goes to comparison. Look at what he does in verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass results in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous acts results in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. We see the comparison when he says, just as, so also. Those are the words in there that are repeated uh, twice in there. The point is that the essence of the quality of the truth that Paul is bringing forth in Adam and Christ is seen in the working out in our life. We see the effect of Adam's disobedience as we ourselves are naturally drawn to sin. We see the act of, in the effect of Christ in his obedience as we in faith are naturally drawn to the impossible truth of grace, of salvation in our lives. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this way, Look at yourself in Adam. Though you have done nothing, you were declared a sinner. Look at yourself in Christ and see that though you have done nothing, you are declared to be righteous. It is seen that the two must be held up as an antinomy, as two truths that then guide our heart to see the power and the reality of what Christ has done on the cross. You can't accept what Jesus did on the cross until you accept of what Adam brought into the world. You can't do it. You do not move from I'm a good person to being saved ever, ever. You move from seeing yourself for who you really are to salvation because of the power of what Jesus did on the cross. I can face tomorrow because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know, he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Come on, give him a plan. Yes! Woo! I don't, does it get old to you? This does not get old to me. Thank you, John. Our hearts are moved. There's hearts being moved in this room this morning by the much moreness of grace. The much moreness of grace. You see, the problem is that when Paul compares Adam and, and Jesus, those are the comparison, the contrast. There are legalists who want to say, wait a minute, you've forgotten one. You forgot Moses. You forgot the law. Because there are those, even in our world today, but especially the Pharisees, who believed that by morally obeying the law, that that would bring salvation. And it's an absolute lie. It's an absolute lie. But so, right? So Paul addresses this. He said, um, 
In verse 20, he said, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Do you get the reason for the law? The law, well, let, me, let me give you some reasons uh, MacArthur gave. First of all, I, you need to know this about the law. Disobedience to the law has never damned a soul to hell. Never. As well as obedience to the law has never brought a soul to God. The law is a pattern of righteous life. It is not the means to righteousness. It is a pattern. The law shines light on sin. That's the point. It, it means that um, it opens your eyes to the real you and allows you to see that in regards to the law, you have fallen short and it puts you in the place that you should be. But this one is the interesting one I think people struggle with sometime. The law has the power to incite men to unrighteousness. Huh. How is that true? Not because the law itself is evil, but it shines the light on the evilness that's already existing in the heart. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, uh, you know, speed limit, 70. 80 what? <laughs> yes. How does this work? What the law does is it imposes restriction onto a heart that wants to live as it pleases. And the rebellious heart says, have you ever heard yourself say this? Nobody's ever going to tell me not to. And you fill in the blank. You, and, and I don't think that people understand the implication of that. That also everybody means God. And so the law has the power to incite that. And thank you, you built the illustration. So as he looks at these three areas of contrast, and then he brings in the comparison of the two, then he concludes by, by looking at what I'm calling the reign of grace. If you ever wondered how biblically you live out um, uh, overcoming evil with good, this is it right here. Listen to these words. It says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so grace also might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The power to move forward into chapter 6 through 8 with courage is to say no to sin and yes to God's will. It is. But you're not going to do that unless you understand that grace reigns in your heart, that the much more is because greater is he that lives within me than he that lives in the world. And you're always going to be begged by the world to not believe that. And so, John Stott says this about grace. I want you to listen to it. For grace forgives sins through the cross and bestows on the sinner both righteousness and eternal life. Grace satisfies the thirsty soul. 
and fills the hungry with good things. Grace sanctifies sinners, shaping them into the image of Christ. Grace perseveres even when the obstinately uncooperative attitude toward authority and discipline is abounds, determining to complete that which it had begun. Somebody once said to me, the worst place for a Christian to be is sinning against God because God knows how to discipline his children. Because he said this, that he who began a good work in you will... Yes, but you know what that might mean? That you get the tower beat out of you so that it can be done. I mean, come on. How many of you has the greatest gift of grace been the discipline of a God who said to you, stop, stop. That's not what I have for you. Stop it now. And if you don't, I'll put you in jail or I'll put you in, in a hospital. Stop. I have a will for your life and I will complete it. Get out of that wrong relationship. Get out of that wrong act of life. Get out of that. That's not where I have you. It is grace that does that. And, you know, that's the other side of more than. <laughs> because he can become more than in your life through disciplining you. And I'm one to confess that it hurts. Oh, I'm so grateful for it. I am so grateful for it. Because I look at myself and say, what a foolish person I was going. What a great God who would love me enough to bring me back. So through the much more of grace, we've been placed in a whole new kingdom. We are under the obedience of Christ. We have the love of God who forgives our sins and, and we can live this life of holiness out for him. We can. Now, you're going to walk away from here. And I know one thing about Satan. I saw it happen at the dock all the time. I remember talking about loving your neighbors as yourself. And as the kids left, a girl came up to me and said, Wayne, did you hear what's happening? I said, no. He said, 60 kids are going down the road. There's going to be a fight. Because that's what Satan does. He tries to contradict what you just heard by bringing you into something that supposedly disproves what you just heard. But in all this, and in Jesus Christ, everything I have shared with you today is true. It's true for your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's my concern that we don't walk forward except that we're all on, a board, on board with this. There may be somebody in the sound of my voice that has never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their life. Or there may be somebody that has, been, has been realized that they've been living on self-dependent religion and that they have been burned out, they have been discouraged, they have, they have experienced um, defeated by being sinful. They, they have experienced this because they have, they have um, 
even taken, uh, they, they, they have um, believed about Jesus Christ. But as so many times that I've heard, have you heard this? I believe grace to be true. I just don't believe it for me. Have anybody here heard that? I've heard it several times. Maybe somebody in this room has said it. But I'm telling you that the much more of Jesus Christ's grace and mercy is here available today for you. Whether you've tried to build yourself on, on, on doctrine that's true, but yet just your own self-doctrine, or whether you have never received Jesus Christ. And so in this precious moment, I don't know where you all are at, but in this moment, I want to I pray a prayer. And if you pray this prayer for the first time, I'd like to know about it. And I'd like to set you on the path of a new walk with Jesus Christ. So clo let's close out with this. Lord, I have come to realize that I have never put my trust in you because I thought the effect of evil was greater than the effect of your grace of salvation. Today I come to you and place my trust in grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that the cross broke the power of death and sin and that I have been set free from the grip of evil. Today, I want to follow you into this life of grace, believing that you will not only lead me, but empower me to follow and to live it out. I'm all in. I place my trust in you alone for salvation and the protection of the life, this life of mine. In the precious name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, someone has prayed that here today. You have promised us that as the wind blows, so your spirit moves. And Father, we need a fresh wind blowing over our lives. There are so many churches closing, so many pastors giving up, so many people walking away from church, so many that no longer uh, are letting the much more of grace overcome. Father, may today your, your son's obedience become primary to us. May today your love for us as people um, uh, just overpower our life. And may, Father, today the kingdom life that you've given us of grace be that reigning kingdom that, that rules our heart. There is some that have come in with fear this morning. There's some that have come in with strong decisions this morning. There's some that should have come in here this morning but didn't for reasons of, um, of not obeying and not following you. And so, Father, I pray that you'll work in a mighty way in this moment. We love you and we trust you and we believe you for your word. And as we walk forward into sanctification, Father, may every one of us start on the, the path through being standing on the rock of Jesus Christ and salvation. May we walk together. We love you and we trust you in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen.